Psalm 119, Psalm 119, we'll be looking at verses 49 through 56 tonight. And uh, the psalmist speaks tonight about the importance of remembering. The importance of remembering. Now, there are things that we need to remember and should remember. And then there are those things that we need to forget. And uh, these are the things that we need to remember that... The psalmist is going to speak to us about tonight. Last week's stanza, that is last week's verses 41 through 48, was about getting to know God by means of a prayerful study in the scriptures. A prayerful study in the word of God. And the same idea continues here in these verses, 49 through 56. But here the emphasis is on finding God to be a comfort in life's sufferings. Now the word comfort is mentioned twice, once in verse 50 and once in verse 52. And even though these verses deal with suffering, there's only one direct prayer that, that goes to God for help. So let's begin now with verse 49 and the psalmist says, "Remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope." What he says there, he says, God, remember the promises that you've made to me. And when when we speak about the promises that he made to the psalmist, it's it's to all of us. His promises are for everyone. But his is personal here for the psalmist. He's saying, God, remember the promises you made to me because, you see, I've based my hope in your promises. And even here, the psalmist doesn't specifically ask to be delivered from any promises particular kind of, of suffering. All the other verses of this stanza are things the psalmist said, saying that he trusts what God was, has written in his law. And he says, I'm going to continue to love your word and I'm going to continue to obey, obey its teachings. In the, even in the midst of whatever suffering he might be going through. And again, a good example for us. It's a way of accepting that suffering is common to human beings. All right. Suffering is common to human beings, and we need to accept that, and especially as believers. Now, we'd love to avoid suffering. We'd love to avoid trials. We'd love to avoid tribulations. We'd love to uh, to avoid anything that would bring us suffering. But Jesus promised us we would suffer. Again, as I've said before, it's not one of those promises you highlight and bring out and want to remember. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. So it's not maybe, it's you will have tribulation. But he says, be of good, cheer. Be of good cheer. Here's the encouragement. He says, I've overcome the world. And you can overcome whatever you go through, through Christ, because through, through him, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Acts 14, 22, we have another promise there. It says, we must through, notice must, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, much or many tribulations. Now, sometimes, you know, we just glaze through, but notice the word through. God takes us through our difficulties. He doesn't take us under. He doesn't take us over. He doesn't take around. Uh, that's right. he, doesn't, he, he doesn't avoid them. He takes us through them. And we come out on the other side a better person. 
We learn from them. We grow from them or we should. And so the basic question, Warren Wisby says, the basic question is not why do the righteous suffer, but is our God worthy of our worship and service or must he buy us with his blessings? This is commercial faith. Lord, as long as you bless me, man, I'll serve you till the day I die. Well, that's commercial faith. Do we trust him no matter what? Even in the worst of circumstances. The important thing here is not trying to run away from the suffering. Not praying, Lord, get me out of this. But Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? Be a student, not a victim. And that's what God teaches us through suffering. Don't try to to, to run away from the suffering that, that we may experience, even with God's help. That is, again, praying for him to, to get me out of it. Take it away. But it's to continue to trust God and to prove that he is a real source of comfort even when we are going through the worst of times. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and notice, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ, notice, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so does our our consolation abound through Christ. Five times we see the word comfort in one form or another. Comfort, comfort, comforted. Five times. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters so that we can comfort others. One important word in these verses is remember. And we read it three times. Once in verse 49, 52, and 55. In verse 49, it is a request. The psalmist is asking God to remember His words of promise. God, remember what You've promised me. What you've put in your word, the the psalmist is sure that God will. Because it's where his comfort comes from. In verses 52 and 55, the psalmist says that he won't forget, but but rather will remember God's ancient laws in verse 52 and his name in verse 55. And remember, I said from the very beginning, when we started the book of Psalms, every time you see the word name, underline it. So that as you read through it, you see how many times his name is mentioned. Speaking of his character, his holiness, who he is, his attributes, his char- all that he is. In other words, the psalmist is going to use his times of suffering to meditate upon God's word. To think about God, to meditate upon his character. Knowing that one purpose for his suffering must be to give, time, give him time to get to know God better. And let me tell you what, when you are suffering, when you're in pain and you're going through a tough time, I tell you what, that's the time we get to know God better. Because that's when we really get to praying and really get to having time in the word of God because we are, we, we're looking to him for our comfort and for our relief. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, 3, my tears have been my food day and night. And you know, usually that's the way we are when we're going through difficulty. We're feeding on our tears. We're feeding on our sorrow. We're feeding on our grieving and our discomfort. And the psalmist, that's what he was doing in Psalm 42, 3. He was feeding on his emotions, on his feelings. Feed on God's word and not feelings. 
Psalm 43, 3, the psalmist says, send out your light and your truth. Let, let them guide me. Let your light and your truth guide me. Not my feelings. Because my feelings will take me all over the place. And the psalmist asked God for two things in prayer. For mercy and grace. That's what he hoped for. According to the word and by which his requests were guided. First of all, he asked that God, he, 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 he asked here that God had given him the promise that he had placed his hope on. First Chronicles 17, 23, it says, And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you have said. You know, he's praying that God has given him the promise that he's placed his hope on. God, do, that, do what you have said. Let it be established forever. In other words, God, you're wise, so, so you will complete what you have purposed. And you won't change your word. You're faithful, so you'll, you'll do what you've promised, and you won't break your promise to me. And those who make God's promises their own can humbly and boldly make them their own prayer because Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do or has he spoken and will not make it good? Secondly, he prays that God who had given him the promise in the word had by this, his grace created in him a hope in that promise and gave him the ability to depend upon it. You see, if we can't depend upon the promises of God, if we can't, you know, lay all of our trust and our hope on the promises of God, we have nothing to hope for. And he was praying that God, that you, that, that you have given me the promise of your word. And through that promise, you've created a hope in me and for me that has raised my expectations of great things because I have your promises and I have hope. And, and again, Psalm 62, 5, the psalmist said, my soul waits silently for God alone. He says, for my expectation is from him. Do you expect great things from God? If you don't, you have no hope. If God has stirred up desires in us for spiritual blessings more than for any temporal good things, He will, because of His kindness, then satisfy those desires. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, For delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. As my heart beats with God's heart, He will give me the desires of my heart because we'll be in one. We'll be in tune with one another. I will want the things that God wants. Therefore, He'll give them to me. Has He filled us up with hopes of receiving those blessings? Then will He not accomplish them? Will He not give us those hopes? And because of the faith He's worked in us by His Spirit, He will, according to our faith, work for us and He won't disappoint us. Look at verse 50 now. The psalmist says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. This is a great, great verse here. He said, Lord, your promises revise me. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. It's because of your word, God. Your word keeps me going. Your word keeps me alive. Your word comforts me in everything that I go through. And this is the psalmist's experience of receiving help through the word of God. 
And you know, one of the hardest things, at least I remember when I was going through my darkest time as a Christian, the hardest thing to do for me was read my Bible. You know, it's when Kathy and I were separated. But I, you see, I wanted something tangible. I wanted something I could touch, something I could feel, something that I could, that, 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 that I could turn this whole thing around. And the Spirit kept saying, read the Bible. Read. And I had every excuse, and I thought justifiable. And if anybody might, you know, my mind was not in tune with the Scripture. My mind didn't want to go there. How could I concentrate? All I could think about was this, this thing that I'm going through. And it's ugly and it's painful. And the last thing I could think of doing is sitting and quietly reading the Bible like none of this was going on. And for weeks and for months, the Holy Spirit kept saying, get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Read the Word of God. And unbelievably, at, 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 at the darkest time, three o'clock in the morning, I'm laying there wide awake and the Spirit is saying, read, read, open the script. Where am I going to start, God? Where am I going to go? And I just began to open the Bible and thumb through it. And I got to Psalm 30, and I just, and I was just reading, and it's just, nothing, nothing was, nothing was happening. And I kept going, I got to Psalm 30, verse 3 and 4, I believe it is. And it said, God's anger is but for a moment. There's weeping through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Wow. Wow. God was promising me joy is coming in the morning. He didn't say what morning. But it was a a future promise. And I don't and, and and I had such a peace. Because God spoke to me through the reading of his word like nothing else had in all those days and months that we had been separated. His word gave me life. It revived me, if you will. It it comforted me. It spoke to me. It gave me peace in the midst of all that I was feeling and going through. And, And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He received the help of God by reading His Word. Secondly, in verse 50, he says, you know, he, as a means of his sanctification, he says, your Word has given me life. Your Word has given me life. It made me alive, he said, when I was dead in sin. He said, many times it's made me come alive when I was dead in my responsibility, when I wasn't doing what I should be doing. It's made me come alive to that which is good. When I wasn't trusting in it. When I was reluctant to do that which was good. He made me alive to that which was good when I wasn't trusting in it. 
and it's made me. Your Word, God, has made me come alive to those things that are good when I was cold and not interested. And that's what God's Word will do. It was also the psalmist's comfort when he was in affliction and he needed something to hold him up. Because your word, Lord, Lord, has given me life at other times and it's comforted me then just as well as today. Man, there is so much in the word of God to comfort us when we're experiencing affliction. But one of the saddest things is, is a lot of people don't know where to go like I didn't that night. It's just God led me. But many times people don't know where to go in the scriptures to find that comfort. That was I was just flipping pages and just it was just beside myself because I didn't know where to God to go. But I just kept going to God showed me something that spoke to my heart. But the Bible, man, it is so full of of, of yeah, the word that, that will help us, that will comfort us. So much of it in the Word of God when we're experiencing affliction. But the only ones who can apply those things to themselves are those who have experienced at some level the quickening power of His Word. If by God's grace it makes us holy, there's enough in it to comfort us in all circumstances and under all events. Verse 51, he goes on to say, the proud, have, the proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. He says, the proud hold me in contempt. They hold me in total contempt, but I don't turn away from your law. Even though they, are, they, 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 they ridicule me and they mock me and they hold me in contempt, it doesn't turn me away from your word. Here the psalmist tells us, and tells us, and it's helpful for us to know this, that he had been laughed at for his religion. Even though he was a man of honor, and even though he was a wise man, and even though he had done some important things for his country, yet because he was a committed, hardworking man, uh, the, the proud had really ridiculed him. They teased him. They did all they could to make him feel really bad about what he believed. They laughed at him for praying. They said, "Eh, it's just lip service. They called his, his praying lip service. They made fun of his seriousness. They called it legalistic. Because of his strict obedience to the word of God and called his commitment. Bro, you're You're a fanatic. You've gone overboard in your commitment. And the proud and the scorners took pride in themselves for doing it. Also, he prayed that, 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 he, hadn't been, that, that he hadn't been laughed at, uh, laughed out of his religion yet. They've done everything they can to make me ashamed and to quit. But none of these things moves me. None of these things move me, as Paul said. He said, Lord, I have rejected your law. Yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't rejected your law after all of this mocking. Not only did he not forsake God's law, but he, didn't, he, he, he hadn't even backed up even a little bit from it. And you know what? We must never back up from the word of God either. We must never back away from any duty, 
nor let any chance to do good get away, slip away. Just because you're afraid of man or you're afraid of their insults. Because if we can't endure the little trials that we experience in serving, in serving Christ, how are we going to face the big ones when they come? That was the question to Jeremiah from God in Jeremiah 12.5. Listen to what Jeremiah said. Then the Lord replied to me, If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? In other words, life was very hard for Jeremiah. Even though he loved God and he obeyed God. You see, we can love and obey God and still go through rough times. That's not a promise that I won't experience trials just because I love and obey God. All you have to do is look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and you'll see that. Because in chapter in Matthew 3, uh, the last verse of chapter 3, Jesus was being baptized. The, the, the Holy Spirit land, you know, landed upon him, and the Father spoke from heaven, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the very first verse of Matthew chapter 4, it says, And then he was led by the Spirit, notice, the Spirit of God, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Notice who led him there? God. It wasn't the devil who led him there. Jesus had just experienced one of the probably the, the, the most wonderful experiences in his life. But God Father was preparing him for his earthly ministry. And what happens? The first thing he does, he gets tempted by the devil in the wilderness. So you can be walking with God. You can be doing everything right with God and still experience trials and tribulations. And you will. So again, it was very hard for Jeremiah, despite despite even though he loved and obeyed God, when he called out to God for help, God's reply was basically, look, Jeremiah, if you think this is bad, just wait. If you think this is bad, Jeremiah, how are you going to cope with it, cope with life when it really gets tough? And as we've probably, we probably all know. And we've probably all experienced, not all of God's answers to prayer are easy to accept. And any Christian who has experienced war, grief, or a serious illness knows this. But we are to be committed to God even when the going gets tough and when His answer to our prayers don't bring the help right away that we want. Verse 52. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Notice, he remembered the things that God had done in the past for him and and his forefathers. And he said, that comforted me. He said, I meditate on your ancient laws, O Lord, because they comfort me. When the psalmist was ridiculed for his godliness, he not only held fast to his integrity, but he comforted himself. He didn't just endure the criticism. He just didn't hold on and bite the bullet and just, oh man. He, he endured it gladly. It didn't disturb his peace or his spirit in God. Psalm 119, 165 says, I love this verse. It says, great peace have those who love your law and nothing. I have nothing highlighted. Nothing causes them to stumble but joe you don't know my nothing causes them to stumble. but you don't under nothing causes them to stumble you see your peace and your joy in the lord jesus christ isn't dependent on other people or your circumstances 
James tells us in James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. All various trials. The Greek word in the old King James is consider. It's translated counted. It's considered count in the new King James. But the word consider is an imperative. In other words, it's a requirement to count it all joy. But Lord, uh-uh. It's a requirement to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because joy is not the natural way we respond to trouble. In other words, Christians are commanded not to just be somewhat joyful in their trials, but to look at them with all joy. Now, even in my own mind, it's easy to preach, but I still look at it and go, Lord. Commentators interpret that phrase, count it all joy, in different ways. As meaning pure joy, unmixed joy, complete and total joy, or sheer joy. And from the context here, it seems that all of those meanings are fitting here. Now, James is talking about a unique, a one of its kind, a distinct fulfillness or fullness of joy that the Lord graciously gives us when we are unwillingly and uncomplainingly submitting and enduring troubles while trusting in him. No matter what the cause, no matter what type or the severity of whatever we're going through. God will always use them. That is the trials for our good and for his glory. And it's not because the father gets some kind of religious kick out of seeing a struggle. Or or experience pain and suffering. But rather, it's a, but rather for a sincere trust in the promise and the goodness of our Lord that we can look on trials as a welcome friend knowing with Joseph that what may have been meant for evil against us, God means for good. We're not just to put on an, a, 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 an act of, of joyfulness. We're not just to put on a happy face. We're not just to hold on white knuckle and, and bite the bullet and say, yeah, I'm, I'm rejoicing in my trial. We are to be truly joyful. And it's a matter of will and not of feelings. And it should be the deliberate, determined commitment of every faithful Christian. And because God commands it, that means we can do it. Because with his commands are his enablement. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, every true Christian is able to do it. When faith in Jesus Christ is for real, James assures us even the worst of troubles can and should be caused for thanksgiving and rejoicing. And when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, I go, wow. In everything. Even in the worst of situations, in everything, I I can't explain it. I can only trust in God and believe it. In everything, give thanks. Why? This is the will of God. 
in Christ Jesus for you. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The more we rejoice in our trials, the more we realize that they're not problems, but privileges. And at the end of the day, they're helpful and not harmful. No matter how destructive and painful the experience you're going through might appear to be. They're helpful and not harmful. And when we face trials with the attitude that James is seriously encouraging us to, we will find out that the greatest part of the joy is drawing closer to the Lord. Because when we're going through stuff, we can get way out there. And they cause us to to move away from the Lord. They can. But they're designed to draw us closer to Him. And that's, man, where we find our real joy, when we are drawing closer to Him. God doesn't bring trials in our life and, and difficult times to knock us flat on our back, but to bring us to our knees. Again, we will find out the greatest part of the joy in our trials is drawing closer to the Lord. When we go through the Word, when we go to Him in prayer, He is the source of all joy. When we become, when, when we, and we become more, when we become more sensitive to His presence, His power, His goodness, His love, and His grace, our prayer life will increase. I, I don't know if it's happened, but when, when we go through difficult times, our prayer life increases. And you know what? So will our interest in studying the Word of God and reading the Word of God. And in our prayer life and in our studying of the Word and in our reading of the Word, each one of those ways will increase our joy all the more. You see, it was comforting to the psalmist here to think that it was for God's sake that he endured the criticism and that his worst enemies couldn't find anything against him other than in his relationship to his God. Those who are put down for obeying God's word can comfort themselves knowing this, that the criticism of Christ will prove in the end to be of greater value to them than all the treasures of the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding uh, and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He also learned the psalmist, when the, when the psalmist would ridicule for his godliness, he not only held fast to his integrity, but what, what he covered himself with was remembering God's judgments from the past. Now, those are some of the things that we are to look at when we go and we look into the past. The things that God has done for us, the things that God did in, in, in our parents' life, if you, were, if you had Christian parents. The providences or the work of God, the hand of God concerning his people in the past. We're to look at that. Both in the mercy that he gave them and the justice against those who came against them. Looking at how God gave, you know, us mercy in the past and how he dealt with those who came against us in the past. We are to remember God's judgments of old. 
in our earlier days and again in the days of our fathers, our parents, for our own comfort and encouragement in God's ways because he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. Verse 53. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. He says, Lord, I am furious with the wicked. Those who reject your law. I'm furious at them. I'm furious with them. And here we see the character of wicked people, meaning those that are openly and disgustingly wicked. The psalmist says, they forsake your law, Lord. Every sin is a transgression of the law, but a life that willfully commits and acknowledges sin is total forsaking of the law and casting it aside. Here we see the impression that the wickedness of the wicked made on the, on the psalmist. They scared him. It surprised him that they could be so wicked. He trembled to think about this, the dishonor done to God by them. And how much pleasure it gave Satan and the harm that it did to his fellow men. The psalmist dreaded the consequences of the sinners themselves. And to the interest, the, 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 the interest of God's kingdom among men. What it would do to, to men regarding the kingdom of God. Which he was afraid those men would be ruined by the behavior of these wicked people. He doesn't say, I'm horrified because of their cruel intentions against me. But because of the disrespect they put on God and His Word. Sin is an ugly, horrible thing in the eyes of those who are sold out to God. Remember it was said of Job in chapter 1 verse 8 that he was blameless and an upright man who fears God and shuns evil. That means he had nothing to do with it. Jeremiah 2.12 says, Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid they have forsaken me. Jeremiah 5.30, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. Speaking of false prophets. Jeremiah 23.14, Also I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. Adultery and lies. Hosea 6.10, I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. Speaking of idolatry, or I'm sorry, harlotry. So notice each of those verses said, I have seen a horrible thing. Sin is a horrible thing. Verse 54. He says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Lord, your principles have been the music of my life all through the years of my time here, of my earthly pilgrimage now this verse speaks about singing in the midst of suffering god's comfort is so wonderful in times of suffering now is that really possible to do to sing in the midst of suffering paul and silas did it they sang in prison in philippi after they had been severely beaten They were singing in the middle of the night. Which is another thing that the psalmist mentions. Now here's the psalmist's state and condition. He was in the house of his pilgrimage. Now, when he says he was in the house of his pilgrimage, this can be understood to mean either his his unusual trouble 
that he was often tossed and hurried and forced to run away, or it was his normal lot in life. So his house of pilgrimage could have meant that he was, he was you know, experiencing an unusual trouble or that it was his normal lot in life. The world is the house of our pilgrimage. We are just passing through. This is not our home. He was in his, his, his pilgrimage. The house that that, that we are pilgrims here. This place is our tent. It's our it's our inn, if you will. We have to recognize that we are strangers and pilgrims here on this earth. We're not at home here, nor are we to make our home here or or we mustn't be here long. Also, it speaks of, the, of his comfort in this state. He said, notice your statues have been my songs. He says, I keep myself busy like travelers are used to doing, thinking of something else to keep their minds off of their their, their tiredness and to make their journey a little less tiring by singing a nice song here and there. And many times, you know, when we're on a long trip and we're bored, come on, kids, let's sing songs or do something that, that, you know, uh, takes away the monotonous and the tiredness of the journey. The psalmist tells us here where he got his songs. They were all borrowed from the word of God. From his statutes, your statutes were my song. God's statutes, it's another name, it's another word used for his word. God's statutes or God's word was as familiar to him as the songs that a man is used to singing. And he talked with them during those lonely times during his pilgrimage. God's statutes or his word were as pleasant to him as songs and they put gladness in his heart. The psalmist says in Psalm 138, 5, is anybody afflicted? Then let him sing of God's statutes. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. Do it and see if you can't kind of sing the blues and the sorrow away. Verse 55 Again, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. He says, I reflect at night on who you are, God. And I obey your law because of this. I obey your law because of who you are. Acts 16, 25. Again, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And after they saw, after those prisoners saw that kind of faith, man, it's no surprise that the Philippian jailer said, I want to be saved. And many others believed on Jesus Christ as Paul and Silas proclaimed. And it's no wonder that God established a strong and continuing church in Philippi. And it was this Philippian church that regularly supported Paul's missionary work, helping him with the expenses. That's what kind of of a godly witness, that's what a godly witness, witness will do to people. It's always been a normal thing for Christians to sing about what's joyfully in their hearts. And their worship service has always been characterized by singing joyous songs. Our worldly fellow man, they don't sing much today. Even though they listen to other people's songs. And many of their songs, they're ugly, they're sad, and they're devious. And it's because life for our fellow man is ugly. 
without Christ. But how beautiful the songs of the Lord are by comparison. Singing, now, singing Christian songs don't necessarily take away our sorrows, but they will sure lift our spirits and gives us evidence about the goodness of God who gives us comfort even in the worst of times. The psalmist kept the word of God in his mind and every chance he had, he remembered it. And God's name is the revelation of God. He's made himself It's a revelation that God has made himself to us and it's by his word. God has revealed himself to us through his word. You want to know about God and who God is? Read the word. God's word is his memorial to all generations. That's why we should always keep it in our minds. Remembering it all the time. Remembering it in the night and at all times when we're awake at night, when we're communing in our own hearts, when we're talking to ourselves in our hearts, when we wake up in the morning, when others were sleeping, the psalmist was remembering God's name. And by doing this, he became more acquainted with God's name. In the night of affliction, he called on his name. Psalm 4.4, the psalmist says, Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Because a life that's moved by meditation or reflection will be more stable than a life that's moved by emotions and feelings. Psalm 30, verse 4 and 5, and this is the scripture I was telling you about that that God spoke to me. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger, anger is but for a moment, His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And then we see the the, the conscious effort that the psalmist made of conforming to God's word. God's name is to be remembered. Why? Because it's attached to his word. And this will have a great influence on us when it comes to observing the law. The psalmist said here, I remembered your name in the night. So I was careful to keep your law all day long. How comforting that will be if we can say in our hearts, we have remembered God's name and kept his law. Let's close with verse 56. Notice he says, this has become mine. I like that. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. He says, this is my happy way of how I spend my life. I've made it my life, Lord, to to obey your commandments. Notice the advantage that he got by remembering his name. This is my happy way of how I spend my life obeying your commandments. Some understand this to be to be uh, indefinitely. In other words, this I had because I kept your precepts. In other words. I had that which satisfied me. I had everything that's comfortable. And notice that everyone who has made God the main thing in their life will confess that it has turned out for the better. And that they have, dis- they, that they have experienced, they have gained riches beyond measure and riches that can't be explained, can't be described. 
Others refer this to what goes immediately before verse 55. I remember your name in the Lord, O night, and I keep your law. He said, I had the comfort of keeping your law because I kept it. I had the comfort of keeping your law because I kept it. Notice, God's work is its own reward. Psalm 1911, it says, God's word is a great reward for those who keep them. The word them speaks of the words of God. And God is, God's word is a great reward for those who obey his word. A heart to obey the will of God is the most valuable reward of obedience. And the more we obey, the more we can do and the more we will do when it comes to serving God. And we will be that branch that bears fruit. It will be even more fruitful. Father, once again, we thank you for the Psalms, Lord. We thank you for this particular stanza, Lord, on remembering the importance of remembering God. Remembering your word. Remembering your past judgments and your providences. And remembering your name. Father, we have so much to remember, God. What you've done for us in the past. What you've done in our parents' past and as we watch them grow, if he had Christian parents. And how God gave them mercy and judgment to those who came against them. Or mercy to you and judgment against those who came against you. You saw the hand of God in your life, in their life. And because of that, we can lean upon our God for today and for tomorrow. Because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord, we thank You that God, You've given us Your Word. And everything that we need, all the answers to life and to questions are found in Your Word. God, help us to be more desirous of Your Word, God. Lord, help that desire to increase. Even if we have a great desire, Lord, help it to increase ever more and to continue to increase, God. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. And, Father, we just ask now that you would go before us and we thank you for your love and your grace. And, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, everybody looked familiar here, so I didn't have an altar call. But if you want to be saved, come on and see me. And uh, if you need prayer, there'll be those up here afterwards. So, again, you guys be blessed. Next uh, Wednesday, we'll be looking into uh, um, Nehemiah again. And we'll be seeing how Nehemiah just uh, finished the walls in the last chapter 6. But now, he goes about protecting that which God had finished. And so... Again, when we have a great victory, it's not a time to take it easy. It's not a time to let down your guard because Satan is always scheming. So again, next week, we're going to see how Nehemiah protected that which he had finished. God bless you guys.